Psalms for the summer, and we have gone through 59 Psalms over the past four summers, and we'll get up through Psalm 70-something this summer, which means that we'll be halfway through the entire book of Psalms. I know that there have been other people throughout history that have, te- that have taught, or teached. <laughs> but what do you expect when you follow Jim Ray? You say things like this. I'm sure there are other people that have taught through all the Psalms, but I've not not met one of them. (laughs) And if uh, the Lord allows us to live that long, we're going to get through all 150 of them in the next next five years. So we'll see what happens. Okay, so you ready? We're going to look at the superscription, which is that little section right above the Psalm. And uh, what we discover when we read this is that this is the last of four consecutive Psalms that deal with David fleeing from King Saul. King Saul is pursuing David, trying to kill him, because he's jealous of this young man who is a great war hero. And he's afraid he's going to, the people are going to start following David rather than himself. And so Saul wants to kill David. Now here's what the superscription says. To the chief musician, David writes this, and he says, I want this, these words, set the music. This is going to be, these are going to be words that are going to be uh, sung in the tabernacle, and the orchestra is going to play this tune. He says, it's going to be set to Do Not Destroy. Likely the name of the tune, uh, maybe even the title of the song, the psalm, and this refers to not destroying David's enemies. Uh, David is not going to take the law into his own hands and kill King Saul. God has given him an instruction, do not destroy the king. It's a miktam, which means a reflection or a teaching from David, uh, that that deals with when, uh, when Saul sent men, now watch this, when Saul sent men and watched the house in order to kill David. David's in the house. Saul sends men to watch that house in order to kill this young man, David. Now, we need to under, we need to have that information, that background, in order to understand the psalm. Some Old Testament scholars have such high regard for these superscriptions that they designate the superscription verse 1 of the psalm. I've got a major commentator from a professor at Princeton Theological Seminary. He calls the superscription verse 1, and then our verse 1, he calls verse 2, and all the way down the line. And That's not uncommon. That's how much the Hebrew people uh, put faith in these superscriptions to help them interpret and understand the psalm. So that's why every week, if I can, I touch upon the superscription. Because it helps us to understand the psalm. Well, when did Saul send men to watch the house of King David in order to kill him? Well, that's found in 1 Samuel chapter 19. So that's where I want us to go. And once we read this, the psalm itself just falls into place. And I think that you'll see how this works. So go back to Psalm, or 1 Samuel rather, chapter 19.
And this is the continuing story of Saul's persecution against King David. 1 Samuel chapter 19. And for several chapters, Saul has been angry with David. And uh, in the first ten verses of 1 Samuel 19, it tells about how he has this on-again, off-again rage against David. And then we'll pick up in verse 11. Now watch this. Saul also sent messengers to David's house. There it is. You see that? That's what the superscription said. Saul also sent messengers to David's house to watch him and to kill him in the morning. And Michael, David's wife, told him, saying, If you do not save your life tonight, tomorrow you will be killed. Now this is a night scene. And what has happened is that King Saul has sent a couple of his agents or spies to uh, watch David's house during the night. Make sure he doesn't get away. And so there's these two spies watching David's house and they're standing underneath the lamppost just like in these spy movies that you watch. And his wife, David's wife, looks out the curtain and she spots those two guys and she said. Those guys are spies. They're going to kill you. You need to escape. So look what happens. Verse 12. So Michael let David down through a window. And he went and he fled and he escaped. So he leaves through the back window where the spies are not watching. Now look at verse 13. Michael took an image and laid it in the bed. And put a cover of goat's hair for his head. And covered it with clothes. She found a mannequin, got some goat's hair, put it on the mannequin, stuck it under the covers, and it looked like, and there's the lump, and it looks like David's asleep. Comes straight out of a movie, doesn't it? So when Saul sent messengers to take David, she said, He's sick. And then Saul sent messengers back. So they leave and they say, well, if he's the king, he's, he's sick. And he's not going to escape anywhere. So he sent messengers back to see David and say, bring him up to me in the bed that I may kill him. I don't care whether he's sick or not. Just bring him right on the bed when they kill him. And when the messengers had come in there, there was the image in the bed with the cover of goat's hair on its hair, head. Then Saul said to Michael, why have you deceived me like this? And sent my enemy, meaning David, your husband, away, so that he has escaped. Michael answered Saul. He said to me, let me go. Why should I kill you? That was what David said to his wife. Just let me go. I'm not going to destroy Saul. Why should I kill you? That's what you should tell him in the morning. Why should I kill you? Because those are the instructions that God gave David. Do not destroy so, then you look at verse 18. So David fled and he escaped and he went to Samuel at Ramah. And so he goes with the prophet and where he is protected. So that's the background. That's going to be the, the basis for us understanding the psalm. With that information, I think we can understand the psalm. So turn back to Psalm 59. Now I want to give you one little notation here, one caveat. David does not write this psalm when the events are happening. 
In other words, when he's climbing down the window, he's not taking out his diary and saying, I'm climbing down the window. He writes of these events years later. When he's in a situation where he needs God's help, where he needs protection, he needs to escape from enemies. He reflects back on this event, Samuel 19, years later when he's a king and there are pagan nations surrounding him. And he draws from that experience lessons that he will then apply in the present time. Does that make sense? Just like when we read this, we're going to draw lessons that apply to us when we get ourselves in problems. So he's written this years later when he is in a fix, and he's now the king. Okay? We know this because of verse 5. Look what he says. You therefore, O God, the God of hosts, the God of Israel, awake and punish all the what? Nations. See, in Psalm, in 1 Samuel 19, it was King Saul who was his enemy, but who's his enemy here? It's the nations who are coming against him while he is king. See? In verse 8, you see the same thing right in the middle of verse 8. You shall have all the nations in derision. See, that's his present enemy. See? You'll see it again in verse 13, in the last part of verse 13, to the ends of the earth. So uh, David is thinking back upon the events when he escaped out the window, when King Saul was after him, how God protected him. And he's now, years later, in another situation, another dilemma where he needs to get away. And he reflects back on that, and he applies those lessons to this situation. Okay, so with that understanding, let's look at David's prayer. Look at verse 1. Here's what he said, Psalm 59 and verse 1. Deliver me from my enemies, O my God. Defend me from those who rise up against me. Who was his original enemy? King Saul. Who's his enemies now? The nations. The pagan nations that are surrounding him. They're planning to attack. And that's what we think is happening here. Now there are two key words in verse 1. The word deliver and the word defend. The word deliver has to do with saving him. Uh, helping him escape. Deliver me from this situation. The second word defend has to do with protection. Uh, shield me from the, from the enemy. Then in verse 2 he says the same thing all over again. Deliver me from the workers of iniquity. And save me from the bloodthirsty men. Notice the word from in verse 1. Deliver me from, defend me from, verse 2. Deliver me from, save me from. Do you see that? Uh, these are his enemies. And these are enemies who are morally wrong, morally corrupt. We see that. He calls them, in verse 2, workers of iniquity. Not only morally wrong, they are physically strong. Because look what he says in verse 2. Three, for they lie in wait. The mighty, you see that? Morally wrong, physically strong. So he gives us the reason why he's praying for deliverance. Look at verse 3. Here's the reason he's praying. For look, he's getting God's attention. Take a look at what's going on around here. For look, they lie in wait for my life. Well, originally, that was the spies doing that, wasn't it? Out there under the lamppost. Now it's the nation lying in wait 
This is a picture of uh, maybe an animal. Just lying in the way, ready to pounce. Waiting for the right opportunity. Time. So, they lie in wait for my life, he says. How many are there? There are many that are like that. See? The mighty gather against me. They are united against David. The nations are. And then he says this. And I like this. Not for my transgression. This isn't happening to me because I've done something wrong. Look at that. Not for my transgression, nor for my sin, O Lord. They run and prepare themselves through no fault of mine. David claims innocence. He claims that this is happening simply because these people are wicked. Not because he's wicked. He's been faithful to God in this situation. He was faithful to God in the first situation when King Saul was after him, wasn't he? And he's faithful to God in this situation when the nations are after him. And so he says they have, he's done nothing to provoke them. And now they have gathered, it says. I like that phrase there. They've gathered together, it says. And then in verse 4 it says, look at this, the they words. They run. Look at this. They run. Look at verse 3. They lie in wait. You see that? They lie in wait. They gather. Look at verse 4. They run. They prepare themselves. Sounds like a SWAT team. They have, they have prepared themselves. They've armed themselves. They've planned. They've strategized. They're just waiting for that right moment when they say, they get the signal that says, go! And then they ram the door down and the SWAT team all decked out, just rushes in and just brings the enemy down, catches the person off guard. He says that's what his enemies are trying to do, catch him off guard. That's what Saul was trying to do, spy out the house and then just rush in and get it. And they did, but there he was lying in bed, but it wasn't him. And now, guess what? The nations are there, and they're ready to rush in and take over the house of Israel. And David's crying out to God for help. And so this is his cry. Look what he, his plea. Look what he says in verse 4. He says, right at the end of verse 4, Awake to help me. And behold. Wake up! Look what's going on here! Help! This is a plea of desperation, I think. And then he says this, verse 5. You therefore, O Lord of hosts, Lord Sabaoth, the Lord of heavenly armies who can't be defeated, the God of Israel, wake up to punish all the nations. Notice there's the switch to the nations. So we see that he's applying the principles that he learned back in 1 Samuel 19 to a situation years later where the nations are surrounding him and he asked God to Take a look at what's going on and punish the nations. See? Now, why does he want God to punish the nations? Look what he says at the end of verse 5. Do not be merciful to any wicked transgressors. Now, there's that word merciful there. We've seen it in the Psalms. We see it a lot in the Old Testament. The concept of mercy or compassion, loving kindness, is a covenant word. It's a word that God used when he established a covenant or an agreement when he formed Israel as a nation back in Exodus chapter 19. 
And he says, if you're obedient to me and keep my laws, I will be merciful to you because you are part of the covenant. You're my children. But these nations are outside the covenant. God's not going to give them mercy. He's going to give them justice. So he tells God, don't be merciful to these transgressors. And then you see a very interesting word in verse 5, right at the end, and it is Selah, which is a, a little word that indicates or marks that there should be an interlude in the song. So maybe the choir stops singing for a moment, and maybe the orchestra just plays in slow, uh, rhythmic, with slow, rhythmic beat, and just gives you, the people who are in the worship service, just to think about what the situation is. That uh, here's David surrounded by the nations, and he calls upon God to not to be merciful to the nations, but to punish them. And now you're just supposed to think about that for a moment. And uh, that's what we should be doing. We should be thinking about it. It's followed by a refrain. Look at verse 6. At evening they return. They growl like a dog and go all around the city. Uh, maybe as the, the music slows down and the people are reflecting, maybe the choir then starts picking up and it sings this. At evening they return. They growl like the dog. They go all around the city. See, what he's describing is these enemies of his on the prowl. They're like a pack of wolves. They're encircling their enemy. In this case, they'd be encircling the nation of Israel. And they're just encircling and encircling these wolves, these enemies. And you can just hear the choir saying, sing, sing that, they sing. At evening they return. They growl like a dog. They go all around the city. See, that's repeated over in verse 14. Look at it. And at evening they return. They, they growl like a dog and go all around the city. You see that? What precedes verse 14? You see that little word? What is it? Selah. That's how we know that this is a refrain. This is a chorus. As the audience is thinking and meditating about it, then the choir comes up and starts singing. <laughs> evening they return. <laughs> But what he's saying is, they're not letting up. <laughs> Every night I see those, I see the soldiers surrounding the city of Jerusalem like a pack of wild wolves just ready to attack. Lord, help! Wake up! I can see them out there. I can see their torches. You see them out there? You can do something about it? Help! So that's what's going on here. Does that make sense to you? Okay, so now, uh, what we see is back in verse 7, he says this, he elaborates on these enemies, he says, indeed, they belch with their mouth. That's a, a King James word, or a New King James word. It means they bellow. Uh, they growl. You can see an army around the city. And, oh, and they start chanting or doing something. You know, They're getting all worked up. And that's what you see happening here. Uh, one, one of the derivatives of the Hebrew word is they salivate. Like wolves saying, ah, there's the prey. <laughs> So we just can't wait to get in there and destroy these, the prey, or in this case, destroy the city and King David. So he goes on, he says, uh, they belch out of their mouth, they bellow. Look at this. Swords are in their lips. It's what they're saying as they're surrounding the city 
they're saying things that are they're sharp tongue and there's uh, they're saying things that are causing the people in the city to be frightened and look what else it says in verse 7 for they say who hears maybe reports are filtering out that David's calling upon his God and they cried out back to David oh, who hears you and uh, they're taunting David and they're mocking David see? Uh, no one's coming to your aid we've got this place surrounded so David answers their question when they say, who hears? And he says in verse 8, But you, O Lord, that's who hears. But you, O Lord, shall laugh at them. You shall have all the nations in derision. Sounds a lot like Psalm 2. The nations rage. And guess what God does when the nations rage against Israel? He laughs. David says, I know, Lord, that you look at these people and they're saying, Who hears you? And God's up there and he goes, <laughs> Just wait, I'll show you who hears you. <laughs> God just laughs at them. He holds them in derision. And if God laughs at the nations, uh, they don't have a chance to win. So now we see David's strategy. Look at verse 9. Here's what he plans on doing. I will wait for you. Oh, you, his strength. Some translations say, oh, you, my strength. But it's the same thing. I will wait for you. God's David's strength. They might think they're strong, but God's strong. Now notice, it's very interesting. In the uh, earlier passage, it says that they lie in wait. Back in verse 3. They lie in wait for my life. They're just waiting for the opportunity. They lie in wait. To the moment they can attack, look what David waits for. Verse 9. I wait for you. <laughs> he waits for David waits for God to move. God is David's strength. So that's sort of interesting. And then he turns and he speaks to the audience, my God of mercy. Or, no, he says, for God is my defense. God's my refuge. God is my fortress. God is my defense. He tells us that. The audience, that's part of the song. It's addressed to the audience. For my, my God, the, my God of mercy, shall come to meet me. This is what God will do. He'll meet David because David's part of the covenant. And God is the God of mercy. And he's going to come and he's going to meet David. He's going to come to David's aid. There's a new movie out about Superman, Man of Steel. Haven't seen it, probably won't see it. But you know what? When Superman comes to your aid, I don't care how strong that group of, that's against you is. With Superman there, you don't have to do it. Just wait for Superman. You know, I'd be like a kid being beaten up, being bullied. Just wait till my big brother comes. He's six foot five. Plays Baylor football. Yeah, he said, I just wait for you, God, you know. You're right, Superman. <laughs> You're going to take care of them. And then he goes on and he says this. He says, God shall let me see my desire on my enemies. Uh, if your Bible's like mine, the words my desire, or something like that, it's in italics. It's not in the original text. It just means God will allow me to look on my enemies. I'll be able to look at them eyeball to eyeball without fear because God's coming to my aid. That's just like somebody being bullied, right? You're scared to death. But then your big brother shows up. And then guess what you do? 
Now what you do, huh? You look him in the eyeball. You're not afraid anymore. David says, I'll look him in the eyeball. I won't be afraid of what they can do to me. Just like Jesus. Says, okay, we're going to kill you. He said, well, you can't do anything. Stephen being stoned, he looks up. <laughs> no fear whatsoever when the enemy comes, when God is on your side, because if God's for you, who can be against you. Now, so now he makes this request of God. And it's a very interesting request. And I think we have to develop it just a little bit. Look at verse 11. David says to God, Do not slay them, lest my people forget. Don't kill them. Don't just knock them off that quickly. Or I'm afraid all the Israelites will just forget. If you take care of it just like that. But instead, scatter them by your power and bring them down, O Lord our shield. So, he says, don't kill them, otherwise the people will just forget. You know, uh, sometimes it's important for us to go through difficulties and sufferings and persecutions. We always want God to just jump in right on our time and take care of us. But sometimes, when that happens, if, you know, if your daddy came to your aid every single time you said, help, when you were out there in the real world, you'd be a spoiled brat. Sometimes it's necessary for you to go through a situation so that when your daddy does come, <laughs> you never forget it. <laughs> it's a story that's on your lips the rest of your life. And sometimes it's necessary for us to be buffeted and persecuted for our own good. Instant deliverance is not always God's will. It's to our advantage that we suffer at times. Because as we're suffering, what do we have to do? Trust God. When we're not suffering and everything's going good, then matter whether the God exists or not, <laughs> you'll have to trust God. At least that's our tendency. So David understands this. He says, well, I don't want you to knock them off right away. You know, our people need to be fearful and uh, be looking up to you so that when you come, you know, there will be praise on their lips. That's the gist of what he's saying. Look at verse 12. For the sin of their mouth and the words of their lips, that's the enemy who's saying, we're going to destroy you and all these kinds of things. Let them be taken in their pride. And for the cursing and lying which they speak. Every night they surround the city and they just say, wait till we invade. And they've just been bragging and, you know, you won't be able to stand up. Your God's not going to... It's been going on and on and on and on. And so David says, uh, well, let them brag a little bit more. And let them brag a little bit more. Don't take them all down at once. Uh, scatter them. Now they have to suffer a bit. They need to experience what it's like to have ongoing suffering themselves. So that's what he's saying there in verse 12. Let them be taken in their pride. Now look at verse 13. Consume them in wrath. Consume them that they may not be. And let them know that God rules in Jacob to the ends of the earth. Now he does want God to consume them. Eventually he wants them, God to consume them. But not all at once. He wants them scattered. He wants them defeated. He wants them to suffer. 
and uh, experience the humiliation after they've been so prideful and they've been bragging, they've been boasting. He says, you know, then I want you to consume them. Now, when something's being consumed, it doesn't happen all at once. Remember the old illness consumption? That's what they used to call tuberculosis back in the early days, consumption. It's a, it was a slow death because they didn't have any cure back in the early days. They didn't have the antibiotics that we had. And so it was a slow death. And he says, I want them to be consumed, but, you know, a part at a time. Uh, and then end of verse 13, he says, and let them know that God rules in Jacob, meaning God rules in Israel. In fact, that's what he rules. He rules to the ends of the earth. He's the ruler right now over them, whether they realize it or not, whether they acknowledge it or not. So they need to come to realize that God rules. And so then you have the Selah, which means now you need to think about that. That God rules over the whole world. He's going to come to David's aid. And if you're in a condition of pride and braggadociousness, then you're going to eventually come down and you're going to be humiliated. And if you've been suffering like the children of God, that there will be a time when you will be delivered. Just think about that for a while. And so the music low goes down and gives you some thinking music. Okay? Now we have the refrain. So the choir comes up. And at evening they return. They growl like a dog and all around the city. And I imagine they say that over and over again. Okay? So that's the refrain. It's a repeat. It's a repeat of verse 6. But there's one difference. One difference. Can you see the difference? Now watch. You had the same refrain in verse 14 and verse 6. Right? One difference. Look what follows verse 6. Indeed, they bellow, they belch with their mouths. The swords are in their lips. They say, ah, who hears? See that attitude? But look after the refrain in verse 14. Look what comes in verse 15. They wander up and down for food. They howl as if they're not satisfied. See the difference in verse 7 after the refrain is they're very prideful. They're ready to attack. But in verse 15 after the refrain they are like starving animals. Howling for food. They have these hunger pangs but they can't there's nothing to eat. Now we have a pack of wolves and they're starving to death and there's nothing to eat. And uh, they're not satisfied. They get a bite here and a bite there, but they are being consumed. They're starving. It's a picture of, a, of God scattering an army and they don't have the resources and they are starving to death. It's a picture of a defeated army, an indigent group of people. In verse 7, they were hungry for prey. Now they're just hunting for handouts. But even coming back to Israel, who defeated them, hunting for him. <coughs> Howling. Ooh. It's a difference. That's what they're doing. What's David doing? Look at the contrast, verse 16. But while they're howling, look at this. But I will sing of your power. <laughs> yes, I will sing aloud of your mercy in the morning. For you have been my defense. You've come through. And refuge in the day of my trouble. So. The defeated army howls. David sings. And God laughs. 
And then verse 17, to you, O my strength, I will sing praises, for God is my defense, my God of mercy. Look at our, look back to verse 9. We see God, strength, you see that? God, defense, you see that in verse 9? Verse 10, mercy, you see that? Strength, defense, mercy. Look at verse 17. To you, O my strength, I will sing praises. God of my defense, my God of mercy. By between verse 9 and verse 17, God comes through. And uh, David is able to sing. This is one of the themes of this, this psalm. That God defends us. We see it in verse 1, defend me from my enemy. We see it in verse 9, the God of my defense. You see it in verse 11, our Lord, O Lord, our shield. At the end of verse 12, 11. In verse 12, he talks about, uh, verse 11, the God of my shield. And then down in verse 17, God of my defense. And so this is the lesson that David learns, is that God defends him and God delivers him. And it's a lesson that he takes back from his experience when Saul came after him and God defended him. And if God did it then, he can do it again. David never forgets that lesson. And it's a lesson for us to remember as well and for us to think on whether it's an individual situation that we're facing. And only you know what you're going through. I want to tell you something. God can deliver you and God can defend you. If it's something that your family's going through, or your church is going through, or whatever, God can deliver you, God can defend you. He's the man to steal his pride. Lord, we thank you for uh, this word. Help us to look back in our lives like David did upon the time when you got us out of a very difficult situation, whether it was a legal situation, a moral situation, whatever the situation was, and you delivered us. Help us to reflect on that and take those lessons and apply them to our lives and now. Help us to realize that you are the same. We've heard that before. You are the same. Faith still works. And if you're for us, no one can be against us. Help us to apply these lessons to our lives in the present day. In Christ's name.